James chapter 5, one more message after this one in the book of James, Nuts and Bolts, and again, I pray they've been helpful to you. Well, I'm going to begin this message today with a word that speaks to you and to me, and here it is, God protects you and me. God cares about you and me, and he protects you and me. I remember as a young boy, uh, many of you will understand what I'm getting ready to say. We slept indoors at night, but we lived outdoors during the day. We were never inside playing video games. We were always outside doing things. And so my brother and I and some other guys, we were walking in the woods one day, and we came to this place. There was a slope in the woods, and then somewhere down the slope, there was just a cliff, a drop-off. And so we were walking, hiking through the woods, and I got to a point where my feet slipped out from under me, and I started falling, and I was tumbling down that hill, that slope, almost ready to go off the cliff, the ledge of that to the cliff. And I still remember my brother just, just hollering out a couple different times, grab a tree, grab a tree. Well, you think that's easy to do, but when you're tumbling and you're about ready to go off a cliff, that's hard to do. But, but just moments before I was going off that cliff, I was able to reach out and grab the tree that stopped my fall. That didn't just happen. God protected me. God cared about me, and his grace was evident in my life, or I might not be standing here today. That's how good God is. When I'm watching television, I, I, I sometimes will surf the channels. I don't know if any other guys do that or not, but I surf a lot. And I might find a channel that I'll watch somewhat, so I'll maybe watch it for a minute or two and then realize I don't really want to watch this show, so I move on to something else. But every now and then when you're surfing channels, you're going to see some of the television faith healers on there. And here's generally what happens in the midst of that, because I'm trying to watch them and understand my convictions of God's Word as well. That in most of those programs, you're going to see this. The stadium or arena where they are is going to be packed with people. There's going to be music and organ playing, and there are going to be people who are falling down on the platform, and then you're going to hear people say or even see to say that they have been healed. Now, as I come to this message in James chapter 5, I want you to understand it very clearly. I believe we serve a God who heals people. He has the power to do so. Even beyond medicine, our Father has the power to heal people. Now, there are many things about this text today I don't understand. But there are many things in life I don't understand, and I still do them nonetheless. Uh, I don't understand my car, but I still drive it. Uh, I don't understand how television works, but I still watch it. Uh, I don't understand how the Internet works, but I still use it. So even though I don't understand every aspect of this text today, I want to be faithful to God's Word and preach the whole counsel of Scripture. But here's sometimes when I see those television programs and I see the faith healers, again, the place is packed, the music is playing, people are falling on the platform, and then people are saying they're being healed. Here's the way my mind operates. I'm thinking a couple of questions like, one is, what about all the people who are going to leave the stadium and not be healed? What about them? And then, then I'm thinking about, well, the, the preacher who's leading this event, why doesn't he go to the people instead of the people coming to him? Because when you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus, oh, there were people who came to him, but Jesus oftentimes met people in their context of life. And so I'm just trying to put my mind around what does it mean for God to heal people because I know he does. He has the power to do so. And then we come to this passage, what should I do in James chapter 5? And here's again, James is writing about everyday life issues. You and I understand what he's getting ready to say. 
You and I also know that James had a pastoral heart because he's writing to people in their context of life. He's writing to people and saying, has any one of you suffering? And he's going to give you direction about what to do. He's going to say, is any one of you cheerful, anyone happy? Then here's what you ought to do. Is anyone in your midst sick, meaning you've got some illness or some infirmity? Here's what you ought to do in life as well. James is very articulate about that. And then he comes and he says, is anyone living in sin? Here's what you ought to do in relationship to being disobedient to God. And then James says, anyone here living faithful to God, righteous? Then here are the benefits of living a faithful, righteous life before the Heavenly Father. He's very personal to you and me. Let me understand that for us here on this Sunday. In this room, is there anyone in this room or anyone watching, are you suffering today? You've had a relationship to collapse. Financially, you don't know how you're going to make it. There are so many disappointments in your life. You are suffering oftentimes in silence. Anyone here or watching suffering? Is anyone cheerful? anyone happy in life. You just didn't know life could be this great. You didn't know everything could go your way. You didn't know you could get the breaks in life. You're on the mountaintop in life. Anyone cheerful in this room or watching? Is anyone sick in this room or watching? We're going to understand what James is saying when he uses the word sick. What does he mean by that? Because there are multiple meanings to that particular word. But is there anyone sick and you just need the Lord to touch your life in a very special way? That's why the local church matters. Is there anyone here this morning living in sin? You're disobedient to God in your life. He's asked you to do something, but you've not done it. You're making decisions that are against his word and you're living outside of his will in your life. Is there anyone here living in sin and you need to confess that to God but also to someone else? And then what about folks in this room or watching who are living faithful, righteous lives? You're, you're living God's way in life. You're in the center of his will. You're walking with him. You're spending time with him. You know God is moving in your life and using you. Are you living a faithful, righteous life? James is going to cover all of those as we look at James chapter 5 under the understanding, what should I do? He's going to give you insight to that. So look at number one, steps and survival. How do you survive life? How do you survive day-to-day -day life? There are days, again, that life's going great. There are other days not so well. How do you survive when life doesn't seem to be going your way? Here's oftentimes what we'll do. We'll complain about life. If we're not careful, we'll even blame God for the unfortunate things in life. There are times we try to take matters into our own hands where God's not doing anything, so I'm going to take care of this myself. And then there are other times you and I, we seek the heart of God to say, God, what is going on in my life? What are you doing in my life? What are you trying to teach me? God, will you help me survive this day, this hour, this minute? There's steps in survival. And as we walk through this, I want you to see some things from God's Word. Look at the first blank is heartbreak. As you think about what James says, he says in this passage, is anyone among you suffering? What does he mean? It could mean relationship suffering. It could mean financial suffering. It could mean vocational suffering, physical suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? And James says, if anyone among you is suffering, here's what you need to do. Let him pray. As you think about prayer, understand, when, when you're suffering in life, your first response should be to pray. Have a conversation with God in life. 
And what James is saying to us is, is that when you're suffering and there's various components to that, then you have a conversation with God because here's what we know from God's Word, but here's what we understand in life. The devil, our enemy, our adversary, he hates believers who pray. The devil, the adversary, enemy, he hates churches who are committed to praying. And when God's people pray, the enemy trembles. And so let me say it today very clearly in this message. If your job isn't satisfying, pray. If your marriage or family is falling apart, pray. If you're overwhelmed with decisions in your life, pray. If the trials of life seem to be getting the best of you, pray. Have a conversation with God. See, prayer should affect every area of our lives. And as you and I pray, we're having a conversation with a loving Heavenly Father who gave His only begotten Son to you and me to give His life so that we could have abundant life. That's who Jesus is. And so one of the ways you're going to tell if you're maturing in your relationship to Christ or not is when you're suffering, you find yourself having a conversation with God because prayer should always be the first response, not the last resort. If you're suffering, pray. At the end of our service, we're going to give an invitation today, and I'm just going to ask you, if you're in this room and you're suffering in your life, we're going to have people who are willing to pray with you and for you. You're watching online and you're suffering, you can comment to us and we'll have people who will pray with you and for you. But James is very clear, heartbreak. If you're suffering, pray. The second word, the word is happiness. James goes on to say, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, anyone happy? Well, if you're cheerful and you're happy, what are you going to do? He says what? Let him sing praise. Folks, praise is, is important for the people of God. Prayer is important, but praise is important as well. Any one of you happy, anyone cheerful, let him praise. You just give praise to God for his goodness, for his grace in your life. And here's what we know. There are people in this room and there are people watching. You're happy in life. You're cheerful in life. What a joy for you to praise Almighty God for the joy in your life. But also I know this. There, there are people... And you look at it and you say, well, I'm, life's not going well for me, but you can still be cheerful and joyful and happy even when life's not going well for you. You can still praise God in the midst of your storms. Let me give you a couple of insights. One, just God's Word illustrations. Acts chapter 16. You know the story, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. They're in prison. Why? Because they've been faithful to Christ. They're in prison because they've been sharing the gospel. And it says in, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, the Bible does about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They weren't having a pity party. They weren't complaining. They were praising God in the midst of a jail cell. And here's what happens. When you praise God, when life isn't going well for you, here's what happens. Other people are listening as you praise God. Also, when you praise God in the midst of your storms, when life's not going well, our Heavenly Father moves, and oftentimes when you praise God when life is difficult and you, you praise Him for what He's doing in your life, other people are listening, God moves, and then people get saved. That's what happened in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas singing, praising God about midnight, and here they are, other people are listening, God moves, and the jailer in his household gets saved in the midst of that. 
So I just encourage you, if you're cheerful, joyful, happy in life, make sure you praise God for that. And as I think about heaven today, why is praise important? Because you think about heaven in Revelation 4, in heaven at this very moment, around the throne of God, they are praising the Heavenly Father and just saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And so if heaven is filled with praise, this room needs to be filled with praise. And so as you and I think about praise, we don't come here to turn it on and praise when we get here. We walk on this campus already praising God on Sunday mornings. We're praising Him. So anyone of you suffering, well, let him pray. Anyone cheerful, happy, joyful, let him praise God. Look at these truths about praise. One, it, it isn't limited to the style of music doesn't make any difference what style of song we sing. Your heart, if you're joyful, cheerful, still should be praising Almighty God. doesn't matter the style. It should be both private and public. In your personal time with God, praise Him. When you and I gather with the people of God, let's praise Him as well. Private and public. God, I'm going to praise you at all stages of my life. And then it's an overflow of the heart. You just praise Him for the goodness of God in your life, and you're just overflowing in your heart. God, I find joy in you. I adore you. I'm overwhelmed by your presence. I stand in awe of you. God, I just praise you for who you are and what you're doing in my life. So, so you look at it and you find yourself, as you realize what James is saying, if you're, if you're suffering, you pray. If you're cheerful, you're happy, you're joyful, you praise the Lord. And praise should be a part of every single one of us. In the mountains and the valleys, we can still praise Him. Look at number two, support in sickness. As you and I think about this next part of what James is saying in James chapter 5, again, we come back, is any one of you suffering? Well, let him pray. Anyone cheerful, let him praise the Lord. And then he says, anyone among you sick? Now, now what, what does he mean by that? We'll unpack that in just a moment. But here's what I want you to know, a few statements to kind of set this up as you think about support and sickness. As you and I think about this text, uh, oftentimes when you're sick, it doesn't always mean you've sinned against God. Uh, there are people who get sick and ill in life, and they've not sinned against God. Oh, there are times we reap what we sow. There are times we sow to the sinful nature, we reap destruction. There are times we've been disobedient to God, we've violated His, His law, and we've been outside of His will. We suffer even sickness for that. We see some of that in God's Word. But just because you're sick doesn't always mean you sinned against God. There are times in the midst of sickness, God will do what? He uses sickness to get our attention. Oftentimes, you and I can go at such a speed in life that we're not listening to what God is saying. We're not spending time with Him. We're not gathering with His people because the pace of life is so fast. And God will allow us to experience a sickness. So why? It slows the pace of life down so we can seek Him, we can hear from Him, and get our lives back on track again. And then you and I ought to know this, but just because you're sick doesn't mean God is going to heal every disease or illness or sickness in this life. There are certain things that are not going to be healed only in the next life to come, only in eternity. The Apostle Paul prayed for that thorn to be removed time and time and time again. It was never removed, but God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. There are people who pray for a sickness to be removed, but God doesn't remove it because his grace is sufficient for you at your point of need but there's support in sickness. 
Now, as I think about what James is saying, he goes on to say, is anyone among you sick? And then here's what I should do. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, now it's not on the outline. I just want you to see these three contexts here. You've got three different connections here. One, you've got someone who's sick. Uh, second, you've got the church, the body of Christ, but also you've got the elders. So what does all that mean? Uh, we'll unpack that, but I want to say this. This is the importance of the family of God, support in sickness. When you are sick or ill or you're going through something in your life, you should never have to go through that alone. You need the support of God's people in your life. And here's what I mean by that. I meet people all the time, met them here recently, conversations about knowing Christ, conversations about being connected to a local church. And it's not uncommon for someone to say, I don't really go to church. I don't really need the church. I watch so-and-so on television or on the Internet, and, and that's enough for me. And I grant there are some great people that you can watch on television, on the Internet, who are faithfully dividing the word of truth. They're faithful to God and faithful to his word. But then I ask them this question. That, that's okay. I appreciate you doing that. I watch people online, watch people on television every now and then. But then I say to that person, but when you're sick, there's an illness that strikes your life. What are you going to do then? Because here's almost what I can promise you. The person you're watching online, the person you're watching on television, when you're sick and ill, life's not going well for you. They're generally not going to show up at your time of need. You try to call that person, you're probably not even going to get through. You can talk to somebody maybe in an office, but you're probably not going to be able to talk to that person. That's why you need the local church. That's why brothers and sisters in Christ matter. That's why gathering on Sundays and Wednesdays and other times makes a difference in the lives of us. Why? Because if we are sick, then we need to call someone in the fellowship of the church. Now, I want to ask those in the room. You, you've been coming to First Baptist for weeks. You've been coming to First Baptist for months. Or you've been coming to First Baptist for years. Won't you please lean in? I'm not going to make an apology for asking you this. But I want to encourage you, if you've been coming for weeks, months, and years, and you've never joined the fellowship of this church, I plead with you today, when the invitation is given, walk down one of these aisles, come here to one of us, and to say it's been weeks, months, or years, but today is the day I want to join the fellowship of this church because I need support in my life. I need brothers and sisters in Christ in my life, and I want this church to be my family. I join this church today. I challenge you. I appeal to you. Don't put it off another week. Don't procrastinate to another season in life. If you know that you know Christ, you need to be a part of this church. Join this church today. Folks, I prayed this morning in my life that God would just move in the hearts of people to say, we want this church to be our church. We're going to join the fellowship of God's people today. You could have been here for years in your life. Make that decision. Be obedient to him. Months or even weeks. You need the fellowship of God's people. Well, let's walk through this. What's he saying? Anyone among you sick, let him call the elders of the church and then pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let me give you these three words. One is mature. 
He says here the elders. Well, what do we mean by the elders? Who are the elders? Uh, I, want, I want to rightly divide the word of truth because elders in this context are pastors. Pastor, pastors, they are the elders. The, they are servants of Christ. They're leaders in the fellowship of the church. They're going to be individuals who are mature in the Christian faith. They're going to be individuals who are respected among the church family. They are elders. They're pastors in life. Again, you have to understand deacons are not elders. A deacon that's on steroids is not going to be an elder. Elders are pastors, those who have said yes to God's call to be involved in Christian ministry. The Bible is very clear. There's the office of elder. There's the office of deacon, pastor, deacon. One of the things that we're seeking to do with our deacon leadership group and something that we're being very slow in, but we're just seeking to be faithful in, we want to make sure that our documents as a church, constitution and bylaws, other documents, are faithful to God's Word. Can I get a witness on that? We, we want everything about this church to be faithful to the Word of God. And so we want to make sure those documents clearly articulate for us what does it mean to be a pastor? What does it mean to be a deacon? We don't want to cross those roles because we want to be clear. This is what God's Word says. This is who we want to be as well. We want to be faithful to God and faithful to His Word. So he says in this passage, let him call the elders, talking about pastors of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So you're going to find elders, pastors, going to be individuals who are mature in the Christian. It doesn't mean age, it just means spiritual maturity. Look at the second word, medicine. As you walk through this text, he says, let them call the elders of the church. That's why the church matters. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now understand the context. Uh, the, the responsibility is not merely on the church or it's not merely on the elder. It's on the person who's sick. Let him call Let him call for the elders of the church. So the sick person has to initiate this conversation. We're not merely going to them. They're calling and asking to say, can the pastors of the church minister to us? And so the sick person is going to initiate it. And then as you do this, the context is when it says, if any one of you is sick, what does this mean? It just means without strength. That's the word. That's what the Greek word means, without strength. Also, when you think this idea is sick, we often think physical, but when you think about it, it could be physical, it could be mental, could be moral, or it could be spiritual as well. Is anyone among you sick? Meaning physically you're not well, mentally you're not well, morally you're not well, spiritually you're not well. Call the elders of the church. And then what will they do? They will come. Oftentimes the, the implication here is come to your house, come someplace where it seems to be you're lying in a bed and they're praying over you because you are sick and inflicted in some ways and let them pray over you and then they're going to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this idea of oil has a very strong biblical understanding. It could be medicine or it could be a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I would say yes on both of those. Because one of the greatest medicines we see in the Bible was what? Was oil. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter 10, we find the Good Samaritan on the road. What happened in the midst of that? The Bible says as it went on their way, what did they do? They anointed him with oil. It says he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Oil has a vital presence in God's word as medicine, but also as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. 
And so let the elders come. You anoint him with oil in the name of the Father. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. So you find this idea of the, there's the, the mature who are elders of the church, then also the medicine part of that where you're anointing this person, you're praying. But please understand this. When you read this sentence, even though we, we talk about the anointing of oil and as Baptists, we get a little uncomfortable at that point. Uh, we get a little shaky at that point. But you have to realize in that sentence, the main verb of that sentence is not the anointing with oil. The main verb of that sentence is prayer. This entire section is about praying. Someone suffering? Well, you pray. Someone, someone cheerful, happy? You, you praise. That's prayer as well. Anyone sick? Well, you pray for this person. So the whole heart of this text is you're praying, you're asking God to do something. So you've got mature medicine. Number three is the word master. When you look at this, he goes on to say, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. You've got to realize in this text, the elder did not heal him. The oil did not heal him. Guess who healed the sick person? It was the Lord who did that. And so the Lord is going to do that. So when you look at this, you see the master, the one, the master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the elders prayed, they anointed this person with oil, but it was the Lord who granted healing to this person in life. And so I just encourage you, when you find yourself sick, make sure you seek the Lord in your life. Here's what happens. I've visited many hospitals in my day. And I'd visit hospitals and say to someone to say, is it okay if I pray with you? And here's what many patients say. Well, it can't hurt. And here's what I would say. Make sure when you're suffering, make sure when you're cheerful, make sure when you're sick, what, what should you do? You seek the Lord first in your life. Call physicians, but before you ever call physicians, make sure you have a conversation with the great physician in your life. That is Jesus Christ. Seek him first, not as a last resort. And so there's support in the midst of sickness. Number three, success in service. He goes on to, through this, and, and I'm going to give you some insights here. Look at number one, the word is relationships. Because he says, in the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Those are relationships. So again, why the body of Christ matters. That's why you need people in your life. That's why accountability in a Christian life makes a difference. Uh, let me ask you in this room, be, be kids, students, adults. Is there anyone in your life who's asking you tough questions about your walk with Christ or your life in general? Anyone asking you those questions? If we're going to be faithful to Christ, we need to value accountability. When you're looking for an accountability partner, make sure you're looking for someone same gender. Make sure you're looking for someone who's walking with Christ, someone who loves God and who loves you, someone who knows the Word of God, someone who wants you to be in the center of God's will, and somebody who's going to speak the truth of God into your life with a spirit of love. Those are the people you want in your life. But as you think about relationships, if you're going to confess your sins to someone, you want someone whom you can trust, who knows God, who knows you, who's going to walk with you. Let me give you a word of caution. This idea, well, how do, if somebody's going to confess sins to me, what do I need to do? You need to make sure your response, when someone confesses his sins or her sins to you, that your spirit is one of prayer and not gossip. 
someone confesses a sin to you, you're not to go gossip, say, well, let me give you some insight. I want to share this as a prayer request. You pray for so-and-so. You pray for so No, 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 no. You, you listen to what this person is saying, and you pray for this person. Not gossip, but pray. And then I would just give you this counsel as well. It's a warning. When someone starts confessing his or her sin to you, be careful in counseling conversations when sin is confessed. Be careful in workplace environments when sin is confessed because the enemy can use that to lead you into greater levels of sin. Guard your heart and your life. How many people started out just in a counseling session sharing very intimate details of life and the next thing you know, they were in an inappropriate relationship with one another? How many contexts in the workplace started out as very innocent, just sharing a struggle with you in my life, my marriage, my family. Next thing you know, they were in an inappropriate relationship. Be careful how the enemy works. He wants to deceive you and destroy you. But as we confess our sins to one another, you handle them God's way. And what do you do? Relationships matter. You handle that in a sense. I'm going to pray for you and seek the heart of God for you. Word number two, repentance. He says in this passage, when there's confession, there's repentance. Folks, one of the things we're praying about the Southern Baptist Convention here in less, just about a week from now, is that we come together and we confess our sins, that we've not been faithful to God, we've not been faithful to God's people. We need to confess that, but we need to repent of that, meaning we need to change directions, that there would be repentance in Anaheim, California, from the people of God known as Southern Baptists. We would repent of our sins. And so here's what we see in the Bible. There are times that there'd be individuals, Nehemiah, Isaiah, examples. Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, I live among people who've sinned against you. Lord, we've sinned against you. You confess that. Word number three is righteous. Righteousness. You see here, and he says in this passage, and the prayer of the one may be healed, for the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's something about being righteous. What do I mean by that? Who's going to be righteous? You know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're spending time with him. You're walking with him. You're, you're consuming his word. You're living in the center of his will. You surrender all of your life to him. Everything about your life is Jesus. You're going to live a righteous, faithful life. He talks about that. Let me give you these words. When you're righteous, you're dedicated to love the Lord. You want to love Jesus with everything you have. When you're righteous, you're devoted to walk with the Lord. You don't want to walk away from Him. You want to walk with Him. You don't want to get ahead of Him or lag behind Him. You want to walk in step with Him. When you're righteous, you're delighted to see the Lord. You want to see the Lord at work in your life. You want to see the Lord at work in the lives of other people. You want to see God at work in the lives of His church. You want to see the Lord. You're delighted to see the Lord at work when you're righteous. Then the fourth word is results. What are the results when you have relationships and you repent and you're righteous? You're positioning yourself to see God work in extraordinary, incredible ways. And what, is, what does James say? Any, anyone suffering? You pray. Anyone cheerful? Sing praise to him. Anyone sick? You, you call the elders. Let them come pray over you, anoint you with oil, and you're going to be healed. Who does the healing? Well, the Lord does that. And so in this invitation, we're going to sing a wonderful imitation song. 
And so I'm asking again in this room, if you know weeks, months, years, you need to join the fellowship of the church, I'm just pleading with you on this Sunday morning, step out and make that decision this very Sunday morning. You need to give your life to Christ. Don't delay another week. Come and just say, I'm lost. I need to be saved. I want Jesus to change my life. I need forgiveness in my life. Come to Jesus in your life. You need to be baptized like we witnessed again today in our worship gathering. Hallelujah for baptisms, obedience to Christ. You need to do the same thing. Come forward this morning. Let us position you in a place where you can obey the leadership of God in your life as well. And then here's what I want to ask you. Our staff will be here. We're going to have prayer team members here. Anyone in this room suffering? Anyone in this room cheerful? Anyone in this room sick? and you need someone to pray for you and to pray over you, would you come forward this morning and let us minister to you as the body of Christ? You need support in your life, and this invitation is a time for you to find support. Our pastoral team was going to be here. Others will pray for you as well, but we want to invite you to come. Suffering, cheerful, sick. Anyone with sin in your life and you need to to find forgiveness in that, come to him, and we'd love to help you. Let's pray together today. Now, Heavenly Father, in this room, this is one of those holy ground moments for us. And those who are watching online, this is one of those holy ground moments for them. That, Lord, if anyone suffering, cheerful, sick, anyone living a life of sin that needs to confess that to you, Lord, and find forgiveness. I'm just grateful today there's blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And Father, today I pray for anyone who needs to give his or her life to Jesus, anyone who needs to be baptized, but Lord, anyone who needs to join the fellowship of this church family, weeks, months, or years, Lord, today is the day where that decision is made. All the praise is going to go to you, but Lord Jesus, we just don't have any apology asking people publicly to obey your leadership. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you allow us to survive You allow us to find support in the midst of our sickness. And you allow us to be successful as we serve you. That's not the world's definition. That's your definition. And God, we come to you right now in this invitation. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we walk out of here free because we've done exactly what you've asked us to do today. Spiritually made decisions for your glory. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, for the assurance we have in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.